we're going to continue on our series in Revelation. We're talking about the seven churches. And uh, just as a quick review, this revelation is a revelation of Jesus. I want to really put that in your minds and your hearts that you remember. Whenever you hear revelation, a lot of people automatically. Matter of fact, recently someone asked me, what are you preaching on these days? And I said, well, actually, we're, we're doing this thing in Revelation. He's like, oh, yeah, the end times. And I'm like, no, Jesus. Because it's a revelation of Jesus. Does it talk about that stuff? It does. But verse 1 of chapter 1 says this is a revelation of Jesus, from Jesus. This is a revelation of, of Jesus. And John has this revelation. John's on this island of Patmos. He's a prisoner. He's in a very desolate place. Yet here he is, even in a difficult place, even on an on a island with prisoners, God still shows up and reveals to him who he is. And this, this revelation that John has, he sees Jesus different. Remember how we used the illustration a couple times with Matt where we had him covered up. And, and this word revelation means to unveil or to see something different. So you actually are revealing something. So John has this revelation where Jesus is revealed to John in a different way. John walked with Jesus on the earth in human form. John was part of the disciples. John was one of the apostles. He walked with him. He saw things. You know, there was a lot of things that John had a connection with, with Jesus. So at this moment, John knows who Jesus is. But in this situation, when he's on this island, he has this revelation. And there was this time where he was sitting there and it says, as, I was, as he was praying and as he was worshiping, as he was in the spirit, here's what happened. He heard this voice and he turned to look, okay, he turned to look to see where this voice was coming from. And that's when he sees that in this vision, he sees seven golden lampstands. And those, those represents the seven churches. And he sees these golden lampstands. And he sees Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, in the midst of these seven golden lampstands. Which means Jesus is right there among these churches. He's right there. He's present in the life of these churches. And John sees him. But John doesn't see Jesus just like in human form. He sees Jesus now different. He sees, he sees Jesus as in the priestly garments. He sees uh, that he's clothed and he's bright and he's got this sharp two-edged sword coming from his mouth. And he sees Jesus in a completely different way. So now he's seeing him more on his, the high priest of, of really who Jesus is, his authority, his, his deity, all kinds of stuff. He's seeing God. He's seeing Jesus that way, which is different. So Jesus is now revealing himself to John in a different way. And he says, listen, I have a message for these churches, and I want you to talk to these churches. But, I want, but you need to understand that Jesus is in the middle of this. Jesus is right here. So as we go over this, we're talking about us as a church, too, because we have to look at every one of these churches and say, how, do, how does that apply to us? Because every one of these, there's, there's tendencies for us as a church. And I'm not saying as a church like thrive. I'm saying as a church of the body of Christ as a whole. Because I'm going to tell you, there's one church. We meet in a lot of different places. But every church, we're listen, we're on the same team. It's not about competing God bless other churches. We need to bless them. We need to pray for them. We need to encourage them. It doesn't matter where people go. Just go where you get fed the word of God. That's it. Someone told me one time, Pastor, I, I hate to say this, but there's a, we drive an hour to church. And, 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 I, and I told them, I said, why? Is there not a church close? And they were shocked. They were like, you do not want us to go? I said, no, no, you can come. But I don't know if I would drive an hour to come to my church. I mean, that's or come to this church. You know, I said, if there's a, and you know what? I hooked them up with the pastor that I know in the area. They got connected, and they love it. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. Not like, hey, man, church alive is worth the drive. Come on, get here. No, it's true. It is true. If you find a church that you're really a part of, it's worth driving. But at the same time, it's not a competition. There's one church. And that's the body of Christ. That's all of us. So he's saying, when he says that about understanding that Jesus is in the midst of the church, and we all have struggles, we're all going to see things in these churches that we can relate in, even in our everyday life. But Jesus is, is in the middle. His presence is with us all the time. So he's going to help us to change and develop into all who, that he wants us to be. All right? So that's kind of how, how things are going. And then it says John did see where Jesus held in his hand the seven stars. 
And in Revelations 1.20, it talks about those seven stars. And it says those seven, those seven stars represent the seven angels or leaders or messengers of the churches. Okay, and when Jesus talks to each church, he talks to the angel of the church or to the pastor or to the messenger of the church. And he talks to them not just for him, but for him as a representation of the church. So when, when the Lord spoke to me six years ago almost, these four words, these four words are for you. They just came to me and through me to you because this is who we are. If you're thriving, this is your responsibility as a thriver, to embrace, encourage, equip, and empower people. That's it. It's the most simple vision we could ever have. The Lord gave it to us. It's, it's clear. We're not adding to it. We're not taking anything away from it. That's it. So he's talking to the churches here. He's talking to the leaders to say, this is what I want for these churches, and this is what you need to understand. And he's talking to the church, but he's, but he's addressing the angel of the church or the leader of the church. All right, we good? All right, we've talked about a lot of different churches so far. We talked about the church in Ephesus. Church in Ephesus that said they left their first love. We talked about the issue of priority and getting back right on track. We talked about the church in Smyrna. They were feeling a lot of persecution, a lot of difficulty. And you got to remember that Jesus reveals himself different to each of these churches and based on what they're going through. So with the church of Ephesus, he, he talks about... Um, from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among. He's saying, listen, I'm here with you, but you've left your first love, saying, I'm here, you left. I didn't go anywhere. I'm still here. And then with the church in Smyrna, they were going through some really heavy persecution, and he says, this is a message from the one, this is in verse 8 of chapter 2, this is the message of the one who was the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. So he's talking to a church that is facing a lot of persecution, and he says, I'm the one who, who is with you, in the beginning and with you at the end. In other words, I know you're going through some heavy persecution. I know you're going through some difficult times. And some of you are even giving your life. There's some people whose lives have even been taken in persecution. And I want you to know that I, that I see and I know where you are and I know where you've been. But I also want you to know that I'm also the one who was dead but is now alive. So even when your life is given up at a persecution and you're persecuted, I want you to know that you will live. That you will live again just like I live again. That you will be in heaven forever and ever. And so he sees Jesus is revealing himself in a way that helps this church understand where they're at, what they need, and how they're going to get through it. All right, and then we talked about the church in Pergamum and how it says that there was a lot of compromise. There was a lot of stuff going on. And, and Jesus talked about this is the message from the one with the uh, sharp two-edged sword. And he's talking about that would have rightly divide. Soul and spirit, joint and marrow, your innermost thoughts. He can tell everything about you, and Jesus sees deep into who you are. And then we talked last week about the church of Thyatira. This week, chapter 3, I want to jump into it. We're talking about the church in Sardis. Every church so far, Jesus has made this statement. I know your works, and I want to tell you that you're doing good here, and he talks about the good things that they're doing. And then he comes in and says, but I have this against you. Now, let's read about the church of Sardis. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and seven stars. Remember, seven is a number of completeness in the Bible. You see that a lot. But this sevenfold spirit, there's this, this thing about the spirit and the seven stars. The seven stars, again, are the leaders of the churches that, that are in his hand. In Revelation 120, uh, that verse talks about the seven stars being the, uh, the seven angels of the churches. Here's what he says. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. What happened to start off with something really nice? What happened to that? Oh, well, let me tell you, you guys are doing awesome here. You're doing great here. I'm so proud of you. That's wonderful. But, hey, you need to work on this right here. No, Jesus pretty much comes right out and says, hey, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Doesn't that sound harsh? How would you like to be the, the, in that church? Or how, how would you like to be the one hearing that message? Hey, you look alive, but you're dead. That's, I mean, it, it gets pretty intense. And 
We're going to keep reading because it gets better. Well, I say better. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just read. You can figure it out. All right. So you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains. For even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. This, this, this letter that he sends is probably, of all the seven churches, probably one of the toughest letters that is sent of the, of the seven. Because this one, there is no, hey, way to go. You guys endure. Th-. Listen, they're not being persecuted. There's not a whole lot of persecution happening. Why? Because they're dead. There's not a whole lot of struggle. There's not a whole lot of stand firm because because they're not even alive. Are they a church? Yeah. He's addressing a church, but a church that Jesus says is dead. And here's what I want. This is how I want to start this thing today. I want you to know Jesus is the one who knows the life of a church or a person. And I say that to start off because we have a tendency, we don't need to judge churches or people because we don't know. And just like there can be something that looks really good on the outside, but inside it's dead, there are also things on the outside look like it's falling apart. But on the inside, there's a heart that's really true and right. And we have to be careful that Jesus is the one who can discern Jesus is the one who sees and knows. He's the one that the Bible talked about previously in the church. I think it was Thyatira where he talks about that his eyes, he sees deeper. His eyes are like flames of fire, which means it penetrates. He sees. I'm going to tell you right now. Jesus sees you. And he sees deep into you. And there's times where churches, and, and, I'm, and I'm using the word church for, for people as well as churches, but there can be times that we have to really make sure that we get serious about our walk with God. Because there's a lot of things that on the outside can look great. And I'm not saying God wasn't doing anything great, but I can tell you, there was a time when I was youth pastor and that I looked out and I saw hundreds of teenagers on Wednesday night, 200, 300 teenagers, and I'm like, man. And everybody, like, thinks we're so successful. And I'm on these boards. I'm speaking at these camps over the summer. I'm doing all of this stuff. I'm on this uh, youth board out in California over the whole denomination. I'm, I'm just, like, doing all of this stuff. And it's all based on the fact that we have all these pe- people. But one day I'm up there and I'm speaking and literally I am talking to 250, 300 teenagers and I'm talking and the Lord speaks to me while I'm talking. I don't know how that happens because I can't, I can't focus on all of that. Like I can't talk to someone and have someone else talking to me at the same time. You ever tried to do that? It's difficult. But this particular Wednesday night I'm speaking and I, I aud- not audibly, I sincerely hear the Lord speak to me and say that it's, it's, it's just a, it's a mile wide, but it's an inch deep. You're talking to all of these people about how you can get more people in here. And that's the focus. More young people. We have 200, we want 300. We want 300, now we want 400. We got to build this, we got to build this, we got to build this. And on the outside, everything looks like it's so wonderful because we have all these teenagers. And in some degree, is that good? Yes. It's good that it's better for them to be at church than than other places. 
But if they're not being fed and their lives aren't being changed and things aren't happening that has to do with the, the deepest part of their life, then it's not healthy. I could get, listen, I could fill this place up in one week. I could fill it up. I could go out and blitz the whole community. I could give away stuff. I could tell every family that we're giving away seven Powerball tickets. Come to church on Sunday. I could do all kinds of stuff, but it's not going to make it healthy. And the Lord spoke to me, and on that day, what I thought was so wonderful, so healthy, check this out. Look at all these people. And the Lord says, it's not healthy at all. There's no change. There's no, listen, there's no life. When the Bible talks about the spirit, one of the words for the word spirit is pneumos. It's where we get pneumonia, like, air, like breath. Those words kind of interchange. And do you know when, when Jesus breathed life into Adam, the breath of life? Do you know when that breath or the spirit of your breath, your spirit leaves, then your life leaves? Do you remember when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? And then he died. So is it not only physically, but spiritually. If we, if we do not have the Spirit leading us and guiding us, we're dead. On the outside, we look like we're alive, but we're dead. And I'm, I, I have to be very careful because I don't want to be judgmental of the church. But I will tell you this. I know Jesus talks about it, that this is a church that seems to be alive, but's dead. They don't even know they're dead. Their, reputa their reputation in the community is that they're alive. But Jesus says, you're dead. Why? Because he looks different. Look at this, look at this scripture, 1 Samuel 16, 7. This is when Samuel's anointing the king, and he goes to, to uh, Jesse, and he says, one of your sons are going to be the king. And Jesse and Samuel think it's the, it's the oldest. He's handsome, he's big, he's strong. This has got to be the king. This has got to be the king. And, and ultimately we find out that Jesse didn't even bring David up when he brought all of his sons. He left David in the field. So Samuel goes through all the boys, all the sons, and says, uh, I thought for sure it was this one, but it's none of these. This is all I thought. He said, one of your sons. And Jesse's like, oh, oh, yeah, well, there's David. So then David comes up, and he was the one. But when they thought it was the other one, look what the Lord said to Samuel. He said, Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, because I've rejected him. It's not the oldest. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. We got to make sure that for us, we look at that scripture and we always talk about other people. We're like, well, you know, you can't judge them. God looks at their heart. But I'm telling you, you know what? I want you to hear it this way. God's not looking at what you're doing for him on the outside. God's not looking at all your wonderful deeds that you think are pleasing to him. If your heart is not for the Lord and your heart is not being attached to the Spirit of God and letting the Spirit of God lead you, listen, you are dying or dead. I know that's harsh. I was nervous even preaching this. I thought, God, this, I can't say nothing good. All you said was, naughty, 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 Sardis. But his heart isn't like that. His heart is to say, listen, I want you to take what little is left and begin to strengthen it because I want you to be alive. I don't want you to be dead. You don't know you're dead. What is it that sets people free? Truth. But not just truth. The truth doesn't set you free if you don't know the truth. It says you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus, out of his love, is saying you're dead, and you have to know that because you're not going to be able to strengthen things unless you realize the extent of where you're at right now. Before you can ever do anything, you have to know, where am I right now? I've said this before, but if you want directions to, to the church, someone calls and says, hey, how do I get to your church? Well, the first question I'm going to ask is, where are you? Where are you coming from? 
Because I'm going to tell you to turn left into the church if you're coming from this way. But if you're coming from this way, I'm going to tell you to turn right. So part of you to know how to get to where God wants you, you have to know where you are. And Jesus is saying, I just want you to know what you think on the outside. And what people see on the outside is not really what's going on. There's no life. There's no life. But the good part of Jesus, which all the parts of Jesus are good, but another good part of Jesus is that he doesn't, he doesn't keep you there. He tells you, this is what I need you to do. I need you to wake up. Wake up. Wake up. That's what he's saying. Wake up to the church. He's telling the church, it's time, it's time to wake up. Because, listen, the, the things that you see on the outside are not really what's happening. You need to wake up to reality. You need to wake up to what's really going on. Look at this scripture in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 and 28. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. See, Jesus sometimes, he, he's just easy, Jesus. But he's honest. Beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Then he says this, Out, outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. In other words, there's no connection to Jesus on the outward. And can I just tell you something that's real that I don't, I hope it's not real here. I'm not saying it's real here, but can I tell you something that's really real? There's a lot of unsaved people in the church. There's a lot of unsaved people in church that live in church all their life, but never have a relationship with Jesus. It's just, hey, church is what we're supposed to do. It looks good. We can say to our neighbors, we go to church. You know, we can, there's all this great stuff that we can say and do. But, but the church in general is filled with people that it's all about what they think they can do. All about doing the, the ritualistic things of worship. Come in. Dun, 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 dun. Sit, open your Bible, close it. That's the last you look at it until next Sunday. It's not, it's, not, it's not supposed to be like that. This is supposed to where you come in because you've exhausted yourself all week, giving and living for God that you come in to get filled up again. This is the, a spiritual gas station for you. My job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, it's, I'm not, this, the church ex exists not to get the lost in here, but to feed you so good that you go out there and make a difference with the lost. That's why if we make it about what it looks like and the more people we get here, that doesn't make it healthy. The healthy thing is that when you get here, you get the word of God and you build yourself up and you feel so confident about who you are with God and what he's done in your life that you can't help but spill out in the people in your life the rest of the week. And then you come back here with the, like a quarter of a tank. Like, whew, I need another fill up. I didn't get, I went, I've gone and gone and gone. That's how, that's, that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be just an encouragement for you as you live out all that God's called you to do. That's what, that's what we're called to do. So he says, listen, wake up. One translation says, watch. You need to watch. And you need to see what's really going on. The Greek word here is the same. Let's look at these, these scriptures real quick. Look at uh, Matthew 26, 41. When, when Peter is in the garden and the disciples are there and, and Jesus says, listen, I want you all to pray. I want you to pray with me. Jesus is, I mean, he's feeling it. This is when he prays about, Lord, I, my soul is crushed. And I know what you've called me to do, but if there's any other way, let it pass through me. But then he says, nevertheless, whatever your will is, is what I want to do. So Jesus is dealing with that. He's praying. He's in the garden. He knows the life that, he knows the, the season that's coming up for him. And he's feeling it. And he tells the disciples, listen, pray. And he comes to the disciples and they're asleep. And he wakes them up and he says, listen, I need you to pray. And here's what he says. Keep watch and pray. So that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 
So this same word, keep watch, is the word, the same Greek word that is used there in Revelation when it says wake up. In other words, like, listen, be aware. you got to be aware that you, without the Spirit of God, are going to do the wrong thing. That you will slowly, you will slowly deteriorate back to who you used to be and what you used to do if you don't begin to let the Spirit of God have a, the, the lead in your life. There is no stagnant just staying here. If you're in a boat and you go out and you turn the boat off, guess what? You're still going to end up moving. Waves are going to come and, it's, and, it's gonna, and you're just at the mercy of whatever the ocean does. There is no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm good right here. If you're not moving forward, you're drifting backwards. That's just reality. And he's saying, wake up. You got to watch out for this. You're, yes, on the inside, your spirit is so willing. But your flesh is weak. So if you go by the flesh, you're done. If you go without the spirit, without the, the pneumos, without the breath of God, without life, you die. You need the Spirit of God in your life daily, exercising, walking in that, being led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, all that stuff. You need it in your life every day to truly live. Jesus said, I came to give you life, life more abundantly. So if, if Jesus is saying to this church, you're dead, then he's saying you're not operating in what I came to give you. I came to give you life, and you're not operating it. Which means then you're not connected to me because if it's connected to me, it's going to result in life. Right? There is one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's death. So where is, where is this church at? They're at this place where they've, they look good, but on the inside, there's no life. There's no life. The, the enemy has, has come in and is destroying this church. And it's time that we wake up. It's time this church wakes up. It's time for us as a church to wake up. I'm going to be honest with you. This sermon right here, and you might be able to tell, it rattled me. It rattled me because I can easily get in a routine as a pastor. I can easily get into, okay, we got Sunday, we got Wednesday, we got this, and you're just going and just going. And pretty soon I'm thinking, you know what? This is just like I'm just kind of going through the normal thing. And I can easily realize, you know what, I'm just doing what I've always done. That's a dangerous place. And I felt like the Lord was waking me up this week to say, listen, there's some things you got to change. There's some things you got to adjust. There's some things that I want to do in you. There's some things I want to do through you. But you got to, you got to stop just doing what you've been doing and doing and doing. you got to stop and say, all right, Lord, your spirit is in me. Lead me. Don't let me just do what I've always done. Lead me. Because even as a church, and we do go through seasons, churches, where you're kind of just, okay, we're in this place, we're in this place. But I'm going to tell you, I feel like that even as a pastor, I have almost seen lately, the Lord's kind of woke me up this week a little bit about being somewhat stagnant. And I was like, Lord, I... I thought I was. I didn't realize that I'm just kind of just staying busy. I'm just busy doing the stuff. And he's like, you know what? The Spirit is what's supposed to be leading. And because that's how we did it last week doesn't mean that's how we need to do it this week. And because that's how we did it before doesn't mean how we have to do it now. So God has been doing some things in me this week to say, hey, I have a new season and a place for you and for the church. But you got to wake up. You got to wake up and really see that you're, sometimes your busyness works against you. So all of us need to wake up. We all do. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on guard. Stand firm, be courageous, be strong, that be on guard. Same Greek word, be on guard. Look, watch out. Watch out. Look at the next verse. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, your great enemy, and then he tells you so you don't think it's so-and-so down the road. No, your enemy is the devil. It's not a person. 
Sometimes it may seem like that person is the devil, but they're not. The devil is your enemy. And if he can get you to just sleep and just, just not really do what you need to do, then guess what? He's, he's winning, and he's destroying you. He's destroying you, and it's time that we wake up. Then he goes on to say this, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is dying. So he's saying, wake up. Wake up. And what little is not dead yet, begin to strengthen it. Begin to strengthen it. I remember when I, I tore the ligaments and tendons in my ankle one time playing basketball, and I was typical dude that I didn't go to the hospital or the doctor for two weeks because I thought, oh, I'd walk it off. And then I thought I had gangrene because I was bruised up to the top of my knee, and I thought, I got to go. And the doctor said, listen, you got very little movement. And the only way you're going to strengthen this is you're going to have to start, you're going to have to start moving it. You can't just, because I wasn't doing anything. I was just being very careful, had in a brace. Well, he's like, you got to start. What little you can do, keep doing it. And pretty soon, you'll get stronger and stronger. But you got to use that muscle as much as you can. Even if it's just little things, start small. You know, just move your toes. Write out the alphabet with your toes. A, B, whatever. Just keep moving. And then when it's, you know, give it a break and then do it again. And you know what? It rebuilds your muscle. And it begins to help you to get back to a place of health. But you got to use what little bit you have. So here's the thing. If when we're talking about this, Jesus says he goes on to talk about even in the church, there's some that's not soiled your clothes with evil. There's some of you that haven't gone that far. You're not necessarily dead. But he's saying take what little you have and begin to use it. Strengthen it. But it's got to start by waking up to the reality that something's dying. We got to wake up. Sometimes that's the hardest part. You know, I don't, listen, my daughter, that girl can sleep. Are you going to get her up in the morning? You better be ready. Because there is no, hey, baby, come on, let's get up, get ready for school. That, that does not work. Matter of fact, she's got the gift of blocking out voices, trains, alarms, she, she has a hard time waking up. Chase, he just cracked it open. Hey, buddy. All right, Dad. All right, all right, all right. He's good. Meg, no. If you want her up by 7, start at 6. Because it's just, you know. Patty got to pretty much a ritual. Patty goes in and hey, loves on her, whatever. But then she grabs her feet and pulls her out of the bed. <laughs> Every morning, Meg is pulled out of the bed. And I got thinking about that, and I thought, you know, that's cute or whatever. But you know what? Sometimes that's us. God is saying, listen, wake up. And sometimes in us, even right now, there's going to be a tendency for you just to pull the covers back up and not wake up. And I'm telling you, your life depends on it. Your spiritual life, hear what I'm saying? Your spiritual life depends on what you do with this message today. And I know that sounds harsh, but that's how the Lord spoke it to me. And I'm going to speak it to you that way. Your life depends on it. Your family depends on it. Your kids depend on it. Your church depends on it. Your job depends on it. People around you are depending on it. How you handle this. And let me tell you this, your eternity depends on it. Because Jesus says when, you know, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's just go back to the strengthen part because that's much more positive. All right. So we want to we wanna strengthen what little remains. And then he says this when he's talking about strengthen it. He says that... Uh, I find that your actions don't meet the requirements of God. And he goes, and when you study that, he's talking about the fact of sometimes you, you start something, you don't finish it. You don't really go after it. You just do what's necessary at that moment. Let me give you an example. Do you know how many people have a prayer life when a tragedy happens? Everybody. Do you know how many people have a prayer life when there is no tragedy? Not near everybody. And these are things that we say, oh, yeah, I'm doing good. It's amazing when, when life hits and you lose your job and you lose all your everything. And all of a sudden, it's like you're in church every Sunday crying out to the Lord, falling on your knees, hands in the air, God, 
and you get a job. Like, oh, I got it now. I'm good. And this is the, this is the part, part that we're saying, listen, we got we to gotta really wake up and strengthen what little bit, and we have to allow what God wants us to do. We have to, we have to allow his strength to help us to follow through. I'll be honest, growing up, I grew up in church. I grew up in church. I mean, literally, I was at every function. Women's functions. Scott's got to be there to run sound. I got to do something. Or the overhead projector. That's when I was a kid. If you've never experienced that, that's, that's an amazing thing. Um, but here's the thing. I was, I just, I got so, it's just so normal to me that I just found myself just, just part of what I do. It's just part of what I do. And I got to where I was good at certain things, but there were certain things that I never really, because I heard the word so much and we talked about it so much that I didn't even feel like I needed my own word time because I was always with somebody I was talking the word. My dad preached and I'm sitting on the front row usually, not by choice, but that's where I had to sit. And I would sit there and I would hear. So then all through that, I went to Bible college. And you're in classes talking about the word. So you get the word, you hear it, you hear it. And this whole time, I'm not even personally experiencing my personal walk with God. Everything is based on other people's words. And I'm so around it that I don't even realize that I'm, the, that I'm missing it. And then I remember deciding, okay, I got to get in the word. I got to get in the word. And you know what? We've come so accustomed to just living life without being intentional and purposeful about things of God. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but can, can I just give you a couple personal examples that might feel, well, you know my heart if you're here. If you're not new here, i ask whoever brought you. I have a good heart. But I'm just going to be honest with you. Whatever is important, you'll find time for. You know, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that you can never do anything different. But this is one thing that I'm learning for me. And this was a, one of the things that I felt like the Lord was kind of speaking to me this week. It's Saturday night sometimes. I, I'll, I'll go over my notes and I'll just keep going over it and I'll... You know, I wonder, okay, what illustration can I use here? And I, I read the scripture again, and, and I just kind of all about, you know. But then I realize, am I preparing myself to do something? Or should I be preparing my heart to receive something? Because this is where I go to church too. And I need to receive. And sometimes I'll come up in here and I'll be all about what I have to get ready to say and start getting nervous about, oh, I got to get up there in a minute and start preaching. But I realized that even today, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to worship. If something happens, somebody will fix it. Somebody will do it. But I got, I got to make sure that I'm preparing my heart for this time. Listen, you should be preparing your heart to come here on Sunday. You should be preparing yourself. Lord, I'm going, and I'm not going to get distracted by who I see and what I see. I'm going there for one purpose, that is to worship you and to hear from you and to be built up today. We will plan our entire life. Okay, you, you love me? All right, here, here in my heart, okay? I'm not just, I'm going to say it, but I want you to hear my heart. We'll plan, we'll plan our whole week around a Panthers game. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't talk to you because the game is on. And we have no time with God, but we can adjust anything to make sure something happens. But when it comes to our time with God, we don't adjust things. So you can adjust to the Panthers game if you want. But make an adjustment for God too. Because it shows a priority. It shows a priority that, hey, this is more important. That I am thinking all week about this game. And they're not even playing good. And, and <laughs> sorry, Tampa won. Hey, hey, had to throw that in. Uh, but, but even for me, listen, back in the day, I would get out of service early on the Sunday that Tampa played Carolina. 
I was preaching. I thought, I'm cutting it short. I got to get home. Sad. That was way back, not since I've been pastoring here. But you know what? What's important? I will have a week that's crazy busy. And someone will say, hey, man. Hey, uh, I was wondering, you, you want to come hang out after or watch the game or you want to go play around the golf or do something? And it's amazing, especially when I was playing softball, which I don't play anymore for a lot of reasons. Um, but I would find a way to work that in the schedule because I liked it. It was stress relief. It was, it was like, oh, I just need, a, I need an outlet. That was my excuse. Then at the end of the week, Lord, I've been so busy. So that's what I'm talking about, our prayer time, our devotion time. Listen, it's not about works. Do not leave here thinking, oh, i got to check this off every day or else I'm dying. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that. Because you got to be led by the Lord. you got to grow in your walk with God. You have to grow. You can't just make the commitment, I'm going to read one time, because you don't do that with any other part of your life. You do not just eat one meal on Sunday and then go the rest of the week without eating any food to strengthen your physical body. But we will do that spiritually. We will, we, will feed our, we will get fed on Sunday, and then we will leave here and we'll get so busy in our schedule, so busy with our jobs, trying to make it to the top, trying to do everything, go overboard, make as much money as we can, all this stuff that doesn't matter at the end. And we miss the very thing that gives us life. Right? Don't shout me down. Right? There you go. Got to encourage me. This is a rough one. All right. So we got to strengthen us. We got to be strengthened. And we got to decide. Let me, let me hit one more touchy subject. All right? Do you know the Bible is very clear about our time with God? Praying in the word, serving one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another. All of that comes. But I'm going to tell you, everything that you do. Listen, there's even a part, you know, and I have a lot of pastors that they, they ask me about, you know, pastor talk. Oh, yeah, how's the offering? How's it? I'm like, I don't even know. I don't do a big, big sermon on give. We need your money. I'm going to tell you right now, God provides for me, not you. So there's no pressure. But I will tell you this, people sold out to God, they give. They give. And if you only give when things are great, anybody can do that. If you only love when things are great, anybody can do that. You know when I gave the most? When I was in need. Sounds crazy. I have a philosophy that says, when, when, if you have a need, sow a seed. Because that puts your trust in God. It puts your trust in Him. And this ain't about, listen, you don't have to give it here. This ain't a thing for us to, we're not going to take a big offering and have a big thermometer. <gasps> we're almost to the 1,000 mark. No. Listen, God takes care of us. But he takes care of us because we have people that are sold out, committed to say, Lord, I give to you because you're number one. I don't give to you because I feel pressure. The Bible says he loves a cheerful giver. If I'm pulling it out of your wallet, that ain't cheerful. If people are forcing you to make it, that ain't cheerful. Cheerful is when you say, God, I trust you. And if you want me to give my first to you, I'll do it. Because I trust you. When we came into this building, we had a lot of work we needed to do. And we had a place that we were not going to cross this line on our budget because we knew we had to stop here. We, had to, we, had to, we couldn't go any more than this, according to our budget. And we got to that mark, and we weren't even halfway with the stuff we had to do. And here's what the Lord spoke to me, and I, and I, sent, I still have the email. I sent it to all of our council. I said, this is what the Lord is telling me. He's reminding me that he doesn't just provide one time. He is always our provider. And if he says to move forward, let's move forward. I know that you're, you're going to have to trust me as your pastor. But I'm trusting God. Let's trust God together. He'll take care of us. And we started spending money that we knew was from the account we didn't want to touch. And I'm telling you, I don't know how it happened. I do know how it happened. It was the Lord, but I don't know how he did it. But our next meeting, 
we were still above that line. And we spent a lot of money. I was like, how were we there? God is faithful. God was faithful. God has told us to do things time and time again. And we stay committed. We are a giving church. I would never ask you to do something that I don't do. And we are a giving church. And every month in our council meeting, we say, Lord, who are we giving to? Money goes out every month. We decide we're going we're gonna to be a blessing. We're not going to hoard this. We're going to give. Because we don't want to just do a little bit when, oh, things are good. God, now we'll do something that you like. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So even in those areas, God wants to challenge us to wake up and just do what we're supposed to do, live how we're supposed to live nonstop, no matter what our circumstances are at the time. All right, I got to hurry. Go back to what you heard and believed at first and hold to it firmly. Go back to what you heard and believed. Do you know how we all came to know the Lord? He drew us by the Spirit of God. And he called out to us, and we answered him. And we said yes to Jesus. And we believed. How many remember the day you gave your life to Jesus? I'll I'll never forget. I'll never forget certain people especially that I've seen who gave their life to Jesus. And it was like shocking at the difference before and after. Just in their countenance. Not that anything has changed yet. Just in their countenance. Like there's people where you just see them and you're like, what's different? They haven't said nothing. They haven't done anything. They just have this, that look on their face like they've sucked a lemon that's gone. And then now they're just like pleasant, like, oh, you just know. And a lot of times when people give their lives to Jesus, here's what happens. What do I need to do? What can I do? I want to be involved. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And we're so, ah, let's do this thing. And Jesus is saying, look, go back to that. Go back to when you first heard and you first believed and you actually, listen, those days you believed God. Some people believe God more when they first started than they do now. You pray for the miraculous. You're not afraid to pray for miraculous things. You're not afraid to pray for healing or strength or, or hope or whatever it is you need. But sometimes as we grow, we just get into this mode of, well, I don't know if he even wants to do that. Because we've compromised, we've, we've, we've pushed away a little bit, and we got to wake back up. And we got to strengthen ourselves back to that place to say, you know what, I know I just got this little bit left, but God can do a lot with a little. It just took one little lunch that fed over 5,000 people because God can do a lot with a little. One little thing of oil that this widow collected a bunch of jars, and it filled every jar that she collected, and it never ran out until she didn't have any more jars. Why? Because God can do a lot with a little. So take your little bit that's still alive and begin to use it, begin to strengthen it, begin to grow in it. Just take that Bible that you put on the shelf for a long time, get it out, just begin to read it, just begin to read a little bit, get your Bible your Bible and nothing else. Don't, you know, there's times if I'm driving, not driving, hopefully not driving. There's times if I'm out that I'll read on my phone. But I'm encouraging you, read your Bible. Your Bible. Because when this is on, no phone call comes in, no text shows up, no calendar reminder pops up, nothing. You are strictly focused on you and God. And you will see that that death, that sleepy, that weary self inside of you, you begin to feel life rise back up because John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though you are dead, yet shall you live. And I'm telling you, if you will get this Bible out, begin to read, begin to meditate on the things of this word, the things that's dying in you, the dreams, the, the hopes, the, 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 the stuff that you've always had in there for God, that passion and all that, that has died. Listen, Jesus will raise that back up because he is a God that says, I am, not I will be, I am the resurrection. He is today the resurrection and life for you. You got to get back up on your feet. You got to wake up to it. You got to, all right? So he goes back and he says, hold to it firmly, which means don't let it go. Do not wake up and realize if you let this go, it will affect your life. 
Don't let it go. Then he says this, repent, which means once you know, okay, I've gotten off track, repent. You know what repent means? You know what it means? It means turn, 180, okay? Someone said, we need to repent. We need a 360. I'm like, brother, if you do a 360, you're in the same direction you are right now. I repent. It's still the same because you didn't repent. It's half a turn. You go the other way, right? That's what he's saying. Look, just, look, don't, here's why I, I like this word. Because what he's saying is don't sit there and focus on, I've been going the wrong way. God does not want you to sit here and sulk and pout because there's some things in you that are dead. He's saying just repent, turn from it, and move towards life. Don't sit there and spend all this time talking about, oh, it's been so rough. I can't believe I did that. Oh, I'm so unworthy. No, we've all done it. We all have places in our life that, that we've allowed things to die. And Jesus is saying just just turn and look at the resurrection and the life and head that way and you'll live. You will live. All right? All right. Then he says, if you don't wake up, I will come suddenly as an unexpected as a thief. Listen, there, there are consequences when we don't do what God's called us to do. And in these days as a church, God is concerned about his church, and he will do whatever he can do and whatever he wants to do to get his church on track. That's who, that's who he is. And then verse, uh, verse 4 talks about those who have not sold their clothes. They will walk with me in white. You know what? People say, what about that white? That's like a purity, and it is. And Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But one of the greatest things about this passage isn't that they just walk in white, but they are walking with God. You're walking with God. That's how life comes, because you're with the life giver who just breathes life, who speaks life. Let there be, and there was. That's God, and we walk with him, all right? Then he says, I want all who are victorious, clothed in white, I will never erase their names from the book of life. I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Verse 6, we'll finish with this. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the, say it with me, spirit. This, again, is a church that he's saying, don't listen to John who's writing this. This is from the spirit of God. And those who have ears hear what the spirit is saying. What is the spirit saying to you right now about where you're at? 